This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a new, exciting week of Neonatology Review Podcast. Daphna, you're back from, you're officially, no more vacation? I'm officially back. Okay. 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 <laughs> officially back. I did get to take a, pro, a prolonged vacation. I mean, I Listen, came back, did some shifts, went back. But... As, as, a, as a proud Frenchman, we never say the word prolonged before vacation. You just, <laughs> just don't say that. You just say, I took a good vacation. I um, took a great vacation. That's awesome to hear. So um, we are very excited this week. Actually, we're not that excited. Let's be honest. RTA no, is I daunting. No, I like talking about RTA. I really like talking about RTA. I, and I have die. a few mnemonics for you. I doubt like that. they're very simple. I but... doubt that you're excited about talking about RTA. I don't doubt the mnemonics. But let me ask you, why did you pick? I mean, I mean, I have no like. Sometimes I pick the topic. Sometimes you pick the topic. This time you pick the topic. I'm curious uh, for the audience listening. Why? Yeah, why RTA? I mean, it's super high yield, right? Like, um, listen, the test this last year was. I'm not sure if it's. I'm not sure if it is a change forever for the test. <laughs> <laughs> but prior to that, that was there was like always a question on an RTA because um, they're easy on a paper vignette to distinguish from one another. I don't find that they are easy in real life, but for yeah. sure, for sure. Well, okay, so so I think that's a that's a, that's a great reason, um, and it's something <laughs> that is that is it's some of these things that is hard sometimes to put together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will have our expert on this week. Um, and uh, this week, um, who, who's our expert coming on? Uh, yeah, Dr. Michelle Starr. Ooh, okay. So Thursday, mm-hmm. stay tuned. And uh, we will ask burning questions. <laughs> In the context of RTA, burning is probably not the greatest of adjectives. <laughs> okay. Should we begin? Let's. All right, so 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 today is Monday. Today is my my day to go over some stuff mm-hmm. about renal tubular acidosis. My goal today is to clear the weeds, right? Try to get us mm-hmm. to under to prepare the groundwork so that we can talk about the different types of RTA tomorrow and Wednesday. Yeah, I think if you try to just memorize RTA subtypes you could do it but if you understand the physiology of the tubules which i can't even believe i'm saying that out loud because kidney physiology is probably my least favorite but if you can understand the physiology the normal um then this it's easy to understand why each of the subtypes work the way they do yeah, it's interesting. Back in my medical school days, I when when I went when I was in uh, renal, right, whatever we call this, the block renal, I was like, this is fascinating. I'm getting everything correct. I mean, I'm I'm understanding everything. And then I went to do some questions, like, ooh, I don't get this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I thought I understood, but it's actually more complicated. But we'll, we'll try to make this simple for everybody. And I want to preface everything that I am saying by mentioning that I am not particularly an expert on renal physiology or nephrology. 
everything I'm telling you, I took from review papers. Um, and if there's anything that doesn't make sense, um, I'm happy. I will share, obviously, the resources mm -hmm. that we used and, and everything on the website. But uh, yeah, I just want to I just want to say that I want to start with some humility. Okay, so um, that's like a blanket statement, though, for I don't know. I feel like I feel like sometimes let's say we t we were to talk about like BPD. Uh -huh. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm I know a little. Good. I feel pretty good about BPD. This I really I am just like you guys. I'm just <laughs> trying to figure this out. So the term uh, renal tubular acidosis uh, describes a group of disorders caused by defects in the molecular machinery of the re the mach the machinery the machinery right of the renal tubules that facilitate the reabsorption of bicarbonate bicarbonate is also written hco3 minus for those of you who remember chemistry and the secretion the secretion of protons h plus or both okay now i want to start by just mentioning the big typical presentation right so you should suspect rta in a baby or a child that is either having that is having failure to thrive and is having hyperchloremic, hypokalemic, normal anion gap metabolic acidosis with or without syndromic features. That's You're sort taking of, all of my teaching points. No, no, that's it. That's I'm just stopping here. But <laughs> hyperchloremic, meaning high chloride, low K, normal anion gap metabolic acidosis with or without syndromic features, that should automatically be like, boom, is that an RTA? Okay. Now. I wanted to start first by um, that now, now, now that we know this, let's go back to the basics. So let's talk about the nephron, right? Let's go over the, the pathway of the nephron because that could get confusing. So if you remember, you have your glomerular capsule, right? Which is where the initial filtration happens. Then that is followed by the proximal convoluted tubule. And then that is squiggly sort of path that eventually leads you to um, the loop of Henley. And the loop of Henley goes all the way down, comes back up, and becomes the distal convoluted tubule. And eventually, the distal convoluted tubule will join with other tubules to uh, form the collecting duct. Okay, so proximal convoluted loop of Henley, distal convoluted collecting duct okay <clears throat> so that's that's i think is important the other thing i wanted to mention and uh tell me if you were planning on covering this otherwise we can skip it but i wanted to mention the concept of the serum anion gap because that's going to be something that we're going to use and and i wanted to yeah, go over I talk about it but why not let's break it down sure yeah. so um so the idea of Acidosis in general is that the body is meant to function within a very tight window of pH, right? And um, the loss, for example, of an anion bicarbonate leads to the displacement of chloride into the extracellular compartment. So there's always this balance of when one thing is lost. So like if you have a bicarbonate, why is a bicarbonate being uh, uh, replaced by a chloride? Because they're both singular anions, meaning they have like a minus on top, right? You remember this, like they have a negative mm -hmm. charge. And so they balance each other. The serum anion gap is calculated to estimate the concentration of active ions using the serum sodium chloride and bicarbonate um, that are readily available in clinical laboratories, right? I mean, obviously there's many more 
ions you could measure, but these are usually very readily available when you run some labs. And the formula is that it's sodium minus the sum of bicarbonate and chloride. So sodium, which is positive, minus bicarbonate and chloride, which are both negative. And so the key is that there's many components that are not directly measured. Hence, the equation does not result in zero, right? So it's, it's not meant to equal zero. And so a normal serum anion gap is about 12 to 16 millimoles per liter. And when there's um, imbalances and there's the presence of unmeasured, uh, unmeasured ketones, lactate, salicylate, methanol, whatever, then that will sort of uh, move your, your anion gap. Okay. Very good. So let's talk about some physiology, right? So the, the first part I wanted to talk about was the regulation of acid-base um, homeostasis. So whenever we're doing in our body metabolic work, you're generating H+, okay? You're generating protons. And like we said, we need to, we need to have sophisticated ways to deal with these protons that are, we're making. And the reason for that is because our biological systems are very, very specific in the optimal pH range that they need to function. And we all know this, right? If you suddenly have a pH of 6.9, then you have a lot of metabolic derangement. If you are too alkalotic, then same thing. So it needs to be within a very narrow range. And so um, mammals, including humans, have in general three mechanisms to maintain the pH in this narrow physiologic range. The first one is to make some forms of buffer, right? A buffer is basically a, a molecule that will interact with your proton and will reduce the possibility of your pH going down. And there's two kinds of buffers that we need to be aware of. The first one is the one intracellular, so inside the cell, and that's usually phosphate and proteins. Outside the cell, the, the major buffer is bicarbonate. Again, HCO3 minus, that's, that's gonna be an important one. So. The second mechanism of regulating the pH is respiration, as we all probably know, um, where bicarbonate is in equilibrium with carbon dioxide and water. So what does that mean? You have bicarbonate with H plus that transform into H2O and CO2. And obviously CO2 is what we exhale. Um, actually, even H2O as well, right? Uh, we do exhale some water vapor. So that's the second mechanism. The third mechanism is uh, through the kidney. The kidney eliminates protons directly in the urine, but also serves to, gen to generate new bicarbonate and to prevent it from being lost in the urine. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So there's three mechanisms by which we deal with our, with our inherent acidosis generated from metabolic work. And that is through buffers, that is through respiration, and that is through the kidney. So let's talk. I want to talk about two more things and then we can call it a day, but I want to talk about the proximal and the distal nephron. So let's talk about the proximal renal tubule and the bicarbonate reabsorption. The way I think about this is sort of you're moving out of your apartment and you have these big furnitures. A lot of time you will have to uh, take it apart, rebuild it. And that's sort of what is happening with bicarbonate in the kidney. It has to be taken taken down, put back together, a little bit like a, you know, like a handyman. So, bicarbonate is freely filtered at the glomerulus and must be reabsorbed to prevent its loss in the urine. Right, so it goes freely through the glomerulus, and you need to reabsorb it. The majority of that reabsorption 
is through the proximal tubule. Now, the key here is that this process of reabsorbing bicarbonate through the proximal tubule is dependent on the secretion of acid into the proximal tubular lumen. So the reabsorption of bicarbonate will not happen unless the, the, the kidney can secrete ions. The majority of protons or H plus ions are extruded in exchange for a sodium ion via the epithelial sodium proton exchanger isoform 3, which is also known as the NHE3, right? So there's this pump that basically shoves out a little proton into the lumen and grabs a sodium. We also know that this area is sort of a very high sodium reabsorption place. So that makes sense too, that the, the kidney would try to suck on all these little sodiums that are uh, loose in the lumen. A smaller quantity of the protons is, is, is extruded into the lumen um, via a plasma membrane H plus ATPase, right? So, so a pump that basically doesn't really want to send the H plus into the lumen, but with the force generated by ATP, the breakdown of ATP, it pushes H plus into the lumen, okay? Now H plus is now in the lumen and meets its friend bicarbonate. And a little bit like in respiration, they're going to combine and react uh, to form H2O and CO2, right? So they're going to combine to form H2CO3, and then that will be broken down into H2O and CO2. Now, what's interesting is that water then, so as you, so we're going to, I'm going to recap, you have H plus HCO3, they get together H2CO3, and then that is broken down into H2O and CO2. H2O then gets reabsorbed through aquaporin-1. This is like the easiest one to remember in nephrology. Aquaporin is the pore that takes back water, uh, which is expressed on the luminal and basolateral membrane of the, proximal, of the proximal tubular cells. Carbon dioxide, interestingly enough, does not require any sort of transport and just moves across the cell. Now, there's a few um, catalyzers that are helping this, this, this reaction, right? So um, in order to, uh, okay, I'm going to talk about this. So CA2, cytosolic carbonic anhydrase 2, catalyzes intracellularly H2O and CO2 back into H plus and HCO3 minus. So if you remember, we pushed an H plus ion out of the cell into the lumen. It connected with bicarbonate. Now it came back in the form of H2O and CO2. And carbonic anhydrase 2 is going to now separate that back into an H plus ion and bicarbonate. And now, like magic, you have bicarbonate inside your cell. Magic. Magic. The proton is recycled across the apical membrane where HCO3 is extruded together with sodium. Um, whereas, I'm sorry, HC so the, the proton is recycled, right? We take that proton and we send it back to the lumen to catch more bicarb. And the bicarb with the sodium is being taken into the back, uh, into the blood, right? I, I tend to think of the of the cells in the kidney as like a store. You know, you have the storefront mm -hmm. and you have the back, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so uh, the bicarb and the sodium are taken through the back, uh, through the basolateral membrane, and via the electrogenic electrogenic sodium bicarbonate co-transporter NBCE one. Um, by yeah, they're like the they're like the the cool kids. They have their own little you know escorts to yeah. get into yeah, it's to the back and out yeah. of the back of the house. Get, right? get in the back. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, if 
bicarbonate escapes this process in the proximal tubule, it could be, I like that word, it can be reclaimed in the thick, in the thick ascending limb um, via a similar process involving NHE3. So does that make sense in terms of how bicarbonate is reabsorbed and how, I guess, the takeaway points of the proximal tubule is that bicarbonate goes through the glomerulus, glomerulus. you want to reabsorb it, but you need protons. You need H plus to come into the lumen to sort of grab it, change it into water and CO2. They can come into the, the, into the, the cell and in the cell, you can actually recover your bicarbonate that can be then taken into the back, into the blood so that you've reabsorbed your bicarb and the H plus then can go back again on another ride like this. Okay. Now let's talk about distal nephron and acid secretion. So Acid secretion, so a proton um, uh, secretion occurs in the type A intercalated cells in the connecting tubules and collecting duct. Its secretion is mediated by the apically expressed plasma membrane H plus ATPase. So just like we've discussed before, there's this ATP pump that takes H plus from the lumen of these type A intercalated cells in the distal uh, tubule and, and just shoves H plus out into the lumen. H plus is um, generated in the cytosol of the of the cell, the same way we learned it in the proximal tubule by breaking down by by uh, converting H two and CO two into bicarbonate and an H plus ion, and that's and that's mediated by the carbonic anhydrase too. So the same process. Um, the bicarb, just like before, goes in the back and is reabsorbed. Um, now, H plus is, finds itself in the lumen of the collecting duct, and it's sort of trapped, right? It has nowhere to go. Um, because now you're, if you think about it, you're at the end of the process. A lot of the bicarb has been reabsorbed. So who does H plus bind to, right? And this is where um, the NH3 and NH4 plus ions come into play. So ammonia and ammonium. So ammonia is NH3 and it's roaming around. We'll talk a little bit about how and why it's roaming around. And so H plus is just gonna to bind to ammonia and make ammonium, right? And this is how the kidney buffers a little bit this acidity um, in order to uh, maximize urinary acid excretion. Ammonia is concentrated in the lumen of the collecting duct via a recycling mechanism. So let's go over that. Why is there so much ammonia? In the, in the lumen. At first, it's generated from glutamine in the mitochondria of the proximal tubule and extruded into the tubular lumen via a sodium proton exchange mechanism. Now, the ammonia that's in the, in the lumen is absorbed across the epithelium in the loop of Henle, right? And is concentrated into medullary interstitium. Now, as you get further along in the, in the path of what will become urine, ammonia can then diffuse into the lumen of the collecting duct down its concentration gradient, down its concentration gradient, a process that is mediated by the rhesus family C glycoprotein RHCG and combine then with the protons to form ammonium. Right. So um, this is how um, H plus has a buddy to partner up with in the in the lumen. So now that we understand a little bit as to how the body handles. Uh, acidity and, and bicarbonate. I think I'm going to leave it here for you to tell us a little bit as to when these processes are disrupted, 
how does that define those different types of RTAs? Sounds good. Sounds good, buddy. You got it. All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.